Welcome, everybody, to episode 34 of The Philosopher's Stoned. I am one half of the hosting duo, Sam Laboon. And I am Jordan Strauss. Oh, that was, that was good. Yeah. Very regal. Yeah. Very regal. I feel regal today, man. I'm not going to lie. Oh, shit. I already went wine tasting oh. at a new winery up in this B, up in the valley. Oh. What's it called? Called Crooks and Thieves. It's like, uh, I don't know what era. They're like the, the 20s, 1920s, maybe even earlier. It's like kind of modeled after like a uh, like the Peaky Blinders era. Oh, like a speakeasy type of thing. Yeah, so they have what is go- they have like a speakeasy in the basement that looks amazing, like all this old old antique furniture. It literally looks like like a clubhouse for like a gangster. And uh, I talked to the late one of the ladies that works there and mentioned about doing comedy shows, and they said that that they would most likely be on board for that. So that would be like one of the coolest venues we've ever gotten to do shows at. If everybody gets their fucking ass vaccinated, god damn it. I get my vax tomorrow morning, boy. So this might what? be the last podcast ever of the Philosopher's Stone. What? Oh, yeah, damn. <laughs> get one of those clots up in this brain. <laughs> You're one of the point zero 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 one percent but not in a good way. <laughs> I've always been an outlier, man. Always. <laughs> always. I've always gone my own way. How did you get here so early? Like, I don't think… Is that BC? Because Ontario under 30 I can't get mine until the 29th, I don't think. Uh, everybody I know essentially now can get there. It's like everybody's booked. Uh, Chelsea gets hers at the end of the month. Some of the other dudes get theirs like within the next couple of weeks. Mm. So I don't know. I registered like before they told people of my age to register. Like I registered as soon as the, as uh, I don't know, like a couple of months ago, even though it wasn't my turn. But that's probably why I'm getting it a little bit earlier yeah. than the rest. I don't know. No one your age in Ontario is getting it? Well, okay. No, that's not true. You you can get it if you live in like a designated hotspot area. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like Hannah already got her first shot. Really? Well, that's good. Good for her. Uh, yeah. But isn't it kind of a bad idea to like incentivize a bunch of people to go to a hotspot? <laughs> even if it is to get the vaccine? I don't know. Yeah, well, you have to show proof of address, so you have to prove that you actually live there. Like, oh, okay, because like they've been giving it out in uh, in Rutland for anyone above eighteen for like a few months now. I feel like. Okay, well, yeah, actually, I think they they might be doing some similar things to that in Toronto. Like, I think that's, I mean, like if they have excess doses, like they should use them. I think. Yeah, I got a text at like four in the morning saying, "Get up, get your ass up." <laughs> oh, really? Go get your vax. I can't wait. I cannot wait for this shit to be over. Oh, yeah. Like now that like everyone I know essentially that's not batshit crazy is like got their appointment booked. I don't know anyone who's died or had any ill effects from the vaccine more than like being a little bit tired. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm on board. I want to get this done. Maybe even like by the end of summer, life will be back to normal if everybody gets on board. Yeah. I think it'll be like It'll be nice by the end of summer. I don't know if it'll be, well, I don't know. I don't know how long, how much longer they can control people, honestly, especially if people are starting to get shots. Like, yeah, people are just going to be like, fuck your guidelines. I'm vaccinated. I'm going over to my friend's house. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Essentially, as soon as people that like get their vaccines and everyone they know is vaccinated, they're going to stop giving a fuck. Like, yeah. there's no way that they're going to be able to keep up the mask mandate after everyone you know has vax been vaccinated. Yeah, and there'll be yeah, it'll be impossible to tell people not to. Like, it's hard enough now, and That's nobody's what, vaccinated. <laughs> it's so weird to me because, like, I don't know. It's like why, like, the conspiracy theorists saying that. Like they want us all to wear masks so that they can control us. But then why even like, I just don't get what this conspiracy is. Is The conspiracy of the end game is to get this microchip in us via the vaccine. Otherwise, like, why would they even come up with a vaccine if they just wanted to lay down heavy control mechanisms on us? Like if it was a conspiracy, like the pandemic wasn't real. And it was just, why would they even suggest that a vaccine could be made? Right? Mm. Yeah, if that was their goal, it was just to be like it's the, the lockdowns. Like, why would they even give an avenue out of the lockdown situation? You know what I mean? Oh, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't make much sense. It's like either they're trying to microchip us or, or they're trying to lock us down. If anyone thinks that they couldn't just round up everybody that they wanted to and make them disappear overnight without any microchips, like just right now, like they could do that easily. Like, yeah, if they wanted us dead, we'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's nothing we could do about it. <laughs> No, I don't think the people have been able to like overthrow the military if it really came down to it for a long time, especially the U.S. military. Yeah, no, no, no amount of your no amount of second or first amendment or whatever right it is, like no amount yeah. of your dad's rifle is. <laughs> don't care how many pistols you got in your under your bed right now. You're not. <laughs> there are literally drones with heat-seeking missiles out there. Yeah, you're, there's, you're not, not no, there's nothing you can do unless you can like cool your blood down. <laughs> Like a fucking lizard. Yeah, you'd have to be like, uh, I don't know, like some sort of a monk or something can regulate your own heartbeat. But yeah, it's like they have like, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the Boston Dynamic robots, but they're literally doing like gymnastic routines, like Olympic level gymnastic routines now, like flipping, jumping, doing the split. Like they, it would be very easy for them to just unleash that army of robots. Give them, they don't even have to give them guns. Give each robot a switchblade and we're all still fucked. Oh my God. Yeah. Just put like a little butter knife on the end of their arm and <laughs> you're fucked. We get, give us extra guns and we'll still lose that, that battle. Because oh. you can just yeah. keep pumping out robots that have no fear. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think that's the future of warfare is all robots. Like get robots to do all the fighting and then. And then suddenly people yeah. will think war is okay because now it's just robots getting destroyed in war. And then war will become popular again. War will become more of like a sport, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, the stakes will be significantly lowered, but like, the rewards will be like, I don't know, you get sanctions lifted off of you or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every country is like a team now and they're all competing yeah. with robot armies in sports. Oh, South Korea is going to destroy everybody. Whoever can put the, together the best drone team wins. South Korea. We're fucked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get those StarCraft level like organizers exactly. out there that can just like dispatch every type of drone at the exact right time. With the click of a button. Yeah. Hotkeys, baby. <laughs> we don't got them over here. <laughs> I don't think I've ever... I think I tried playing multiplayer StarCraft online once and... I was dead within probably like five minutes. And I'm like, I'm not, I can't do yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> anytime I've done it, I, I'd like get to a point and be like, oh, sweet, look, I got this many buildings. I got, look at all this resources. Like, I'm doing great. And the next thing I know, I'm getting absolutely 
overrun by like the lowest level infantry they have. They just like rush you. Yeah. Well, there's like, uh, there's all these crazy strategies that you have to do, these build orders, and you have to do like a certain number of actions every second. Honestly, it seems like they don't even have to, like, they don't even have to necessarily have their eyes open. These guys that do this all just like they know exactly the order of keystrokes to get the whole city built without even looking at the screen, I bet. Yeah, it's all, it's like playing piano for them. It's just muscle memory. Like their, their fingers just know where to go. <laughs> it's play, playing piano. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. He's a virtuoso. His Zerg rush is unparalleled. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Like they're, it's, it's one of the few, maybe chess is similar, I don't know, but it's like, it's one of the few like competitive things where teenagers are like way better than most adults. Like there's like always this like 16 year old phenom who's just, I don't know, their brains just are faster, I guess. That's like most esports. Like you're not getting any huge esport legacies with like 35 year olds in them. They're all like early 20s or under 20. Yeah. Like in Rocket League, some of the top players in the world are minors. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, and they're making millions of dollars playing video games. Yeah. It's so, like, nowadays, like, when a, when a person's like, I want to be a professional gamer for a living, like, that is well within someone's ability to accomplish. Where when we were growing up, it was, like, legit scoffed about if anyone even brought that up as a possibility of, like, playing video games as a profession. Oh, yeah, playing video games for money. That was That was a joke. I don't think anyone took that seriously. Yeah. Everybody thought the only way you could do that was to become like a game tester for a company. But <laughs> now esports are like more popular with the younger generation than real sports, it feels like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, with the younger generation. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if they start getting if they start getting like if virtual reality starts becoming like legit as common in a household as like a normal Xbox or anything like that. Where they can just make they streamline that technology so well, and then you can actually feel like you're in a video game, like you could be on the ground with the StarCraft characters as a spectator. Like, there's no way it's not going to completely overtake the entertainment business. Like, Ooh. it'll just be so much better than anything else we've experienced if they can really immerse you that well. Yeah, yeah, that's similar. I guess there's what was that movie Ready Player One? I guess it's sort of. Yeah. But that's more just like a world yeah. that you go into. It's not really like a sports league. But they do have like quests and shit. I don't know. Yeah. I think if VR really gets really good, it, people are going to just end up going to choose that uh, over their real lives for... I think that's going to be like a very common thing. Yeah, it'll have to be really good. I mean, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to be real life. Like some When things are going well, it's hard to be real life. That's true. When things are going, when things well. are going well, it is hard to beat real life. And who knows, maybe in order to develop VR, the world will already have to be such a great place that we won't even need it anymore. That would be crazy. I don't know. I, uh, I, I kind of agree with you. I think if, if there was like a huge VR breakthrough tomorrow, it would completely take over. Yeah, because no... like, Yeah, real life is pretty good when things are going well, but there's so many limitations in real life that would not be there in virtual reality. The only thing that I think they're still far away from achieving is like touch and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Haptic feedback. Yeah. Yeah. That's which they already are like developing, but it's like perfectly simulating real life. I think we're like a pretty far away from that. Yeah. 
But maybe you don't even need to, eventually you don't even need to simulate real life. You can simulate whatever you want, even if it's like cartoony or stylized. And eventually, if you spend enough time in there, it will be your reality, Mm. essentially. Yeah. It'll progress probably similar to the way um, normal video games did. Like you start off with like really, really simple video games like Pong and then they make a little change here, a little change there. And yeah. Gradually, all these little changes accumulate over time until years later, you're looking at a game like, I don't know, like Uncharted or like something like that. And you just, you can't even imagine that they started with a, a 2D screen with two bars and a dot. <laughs> yeah. Like in 30 years, their video games, we probably wouldn't even know how to play them. Like we would be like my grandma trying to figure out, trying to figure out how to play like the latest Halo, oh God, right? Yeah. <laughs> be ridiculous. Uh, anyway, speaking of like crazy, uh, crazy futuristic technology, uh, I bought my first cryptocurrency. Oh yeah, we talked about this on the last one. <laughs> Did we? Yeah, we talked about uh, we talked about it on the last one. We haven't released that one yet, so I haven't been able to listen to it because <laughs> I feel like. There's things I wanted to say. You you bought some Ethereum. I bought some too. Yeah, actually, this weekend. Yeah, uh, it's low right now. Last I checked, it it's dipping hard. Um, but that's okay. It's dipping hard, so that's that's when you want to buy, right? That's when you buy. You buy the dip. That's what they say. I love how everyone has become like an investment banker over the last few months. <laughs> this is how the Great Depression happens. <laughs> yeah. This can't be good for the longevity of a stable economy. No. Like everyone's just yellowing their savings um, into shit that they have no idea what it is. And uh, yeah, this is how the Great Depression starts. <laughs> yeah. No one even knows how it works. It's literally like playing uh, like roulette out of the roulette table all the time. Yeah. There's no real strategy, I feel like. There's, well, like the problem is, is there's so many stocks that you can buy and nobody, the variables that predict like what's going to go up, what's going to go down are beyond comprehension. And so you can literally succeed by throwing darts at a dartboard, just like putting stocks on a dartboard and throwing darts at them. Yeah. You know what? There's something comforting about that, though. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like that's what I feel like that's why I'm more willing to put money into this because like, it's nice knowing that lots of us are just all winging it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no like, no one's really got a huge advantage over the other person. Yeah. I don't know. To me, it's just this mysterious thing. I put a few hundred bucks into every like month or so, and then I can take money and like more money c- appears. <laughs> it's like magic. Nuts. I just straight up don't understand it. Yeah. I find it's, it's kind of like a dating app, right? And that you've got all these stocks. And chances are the one you pick isn't going to work out. And so you have to cast a very wide net. And you have to put a little bit into all of these different different options. Mm-hmm. Eventually, one of them will pan out and it'll work out for you. See, I'm not doing that. I'm putting it all into one type. I don't know <laughs> why, but it's just the one that I see grow the most. And I, like I said, I have no fucking <laughs> idea what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to bet the house on anything like this. This just seems like a weird phenomenon that's happening and no one quite understands how to re- like regulate it. So there's kind of like a Wild West feel about it. And some people are going to make off with some fucking cash. Oh, yeah. Like a, like a couple of bandits. I read about a guy who he made, he became a millionaire with uh, Dogecoin. Like he just yellowed, he yellowed his entire yeah, savings into was, it, like $200,000. and. Became a millionaire. Yeah. That's wild. Insane. See, that is not, 
I do not respect that man's decision at all. No. There. Well, I, I listened to an interview with him. How many people have done that and not come out the other side of millionaire? Ah, uh, well, Dogecoin is falling a lot, and I, I listened to an interview with him. And at the time, like from the at the beginning of the interview, like they did the interview over a few days, and or like at the start of the interview, he had like X amount of money, and then by the end of the interview, he had lost um, like thirty percent of its value or something. And so, yeah, holy. I think it was like when Elon Musk went on Saturday Night Live and just tanked. They just they just cut up, cut the camera after a certain yeah. amount of dip. They just cut his mic. They don't even yeah. try and wrap it up. Uh, and you're not rich enough to talk to you anymore. Yeah. Bye. But he was like, they were like, are you getting worried? Like, because he hasn't sold his money, right? I mean, sorry, he hasn't sold his Dogecoin. He's only a millionaire so on he's, paper. He's still holding it. Uh, all Dogecoin, yeah. So, and they're asking uh, him like, hey, it's falling. Like, aren't you going to sell? And and like, what if it lost all its value? And he was like, oh, I'll just buy the dip. Because he has this, like, ironclad belief that Dogecoin will be the currency of the future. Like, he views it as a long, long-term investment. That's crazy. Yeah. It's so weird how, like, the weird, like, I like remember when Google came out and everybody was making fun of the name Google? Mm. Like, why Google? You know what I mean? And people started using it as a verb, like, Google and stuff. And now it's like... The word Google doesn't even like register as a strange word to anyone. No, it's it's ubiquitous. And I think that's like could potentially happen with Dogecoin, where it's like you'll have to really remember, like think back and remember that it used to be about a, like a, a Chiba <laughs> dog. <laughs> it was just some joke uh, on the internet, and now it's like legit how the world functions. Well, when they when they started it, they're like whatever how however the code was set up is that most cryptos there's like a set amount of coins that can be made. Right. There's only a set amount that can be made. Dogecoin, when it started taking off, when people were throwing all their money into this, like this is the currency of the future, there was no limit to how many Dogecoins could be made. Huh. Which means the potential for it to be worthless is there. Like as more and more get made, they become less and less valuable. So so people people didn't know that. <laughs> right. Have all the Bitcoin been mined now? No, I don't think so. I think that's what's um controversial about it is that that mining the Bitcoin consumes an absolutely ludicrous amount of energy. Right. The amount of energy that they use for mining Bitcoin could power like an entire country. Like it's a it's absurd. <laughs> I don't even like I don't even pretend to understand why you need a mine and like a made up currency. What is a mine? How does it even work? Like none of it makes sense to me. No, I don't I don't know. And like I feel like most like most people don't actually understand what it yeah, is. Yeah, I like, don't know. Pretend to. I don't know. It's, it's, some, it's something about uh making or finding finding them. I guess they're finding them, right? Mining isn't about making something, it's about finding it. All I know is you need a ton of processing power to find these like encrypted. It's like a video game. It's like Mario. Something. I don't know. Why are we even talking about this? We neither of us know exact at all what we're, what the hell a Dogecoin even is. I don't know what a Bitcoin is. It's like Mario. You have to run around jumping over mushrooms, and that's how I don't know. <laughs> it makes me feel like I could like if the equivalent was like cash, I I could just like go outside, start digging around, and eventually. I guess you can do that. Treasure hunting, yeah. Treasure hunting. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, yeah. I don't know. It's a confusing thing. It's very confusing. But I've been having a great week all week shopping, putting together the ultimate drum kit. 
one part from over in this part of the world. The other part is from over here in the world. And it's all on its way to this location to be assembled. It's very exciting to me. I've never been in this position before in my life to like shop for a a drum, like a nice drum kit. I got cymbals coming from Istanbul. Holy shit. Where they invented cymbals, I'm pretty sure. Zaljan? Zildjian? No, Zildjian's actually based in America. Oh, really? It's the oldest company in America. Oh. Yeah. I thought it was originally Turkey. Zildjian. Was it really? I'm going to Google it. I think it's an American company. Zildjian? Do it. Because I, I do know that a lot of cymbal companies were based over there at, at first. Um. Oh, oh, you're going to make a lot of people really mad. <laughs> what? Zildjian was founded by an Armenian <laughs> in Constantinople, so in Turkey. So it was founded in Turkey, but by an Armenian in 1623. Huh. And it, oh my God, it stayed in the family. Damn, son, that's an old company. Holy shit. Wow, founder Avidus Zildjian, current CEO Craig Zildjian. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. Wow. That's crazy. For that long, <laughs> man, they make nice symbols. I'm not going to lie. Like, they're some of the top you can get. But I went with a different company because the top end of Zildjian wow. are a little bit out of my price range. But I found some very, very sexy symbols from uh, from Turkey as well. I don't know how long <laughs> they're going to take to make it here. Damn. But uh, I'll be patient for this one. So that's been an experience I've been really enjoying. I've never been able to do this before. So Because I sold my that last one for... Way more than I thought anyone would buy for us. So I had a little bit of, little bit of capital on this venture. So I'm, I'm just literally wait, looking out the window every day, waiting for the <laughs> delivery truck. To uh, show I up. remember the days waiting for a, waiting for a shipment to arrive. Oh yeah, that was fun. Yep. Yeah. So did we have uh, a plan uh, to, uh, there's to talk a topic, about yeah. something um, today? I think, and we, we, we will have time to get to it. It's, uh, it's a bit of a current events meets philosophy topic a current events meets comedy meets philosophy topic i'm down for that i'm gonna pour myself this galactic space dragon india pale ale i bought yesterday that's an over-the-top name for a beer galactic space dragon <laughs> galactic space dragon they're good actually really good and then this one's a sonic grape dragon okay <laughs> <laughs> I got the variety pack. They're all good. They're all different kinds of dragons? Yeah, they're all different kinds of dragons. This one has a blueberry in its mouth. <laughs> oh, actually, it's a grape. Never mind. Anyways, I'm fucking poured up, and I'm ready to drink about it. Let's talk. All right, so you're familiar with the... Uh, there's a, a the live lottery comedy show called Kill Tony. Yes. Have you heard uh, the news about Kill Tony? I have heard and I've seen the clip or what the small section of the clip and uh, yeah. Okay. I don't know what the hell is going on there. Right. Well, for our audiences, um, if you don't know, uh, there's this comedian. His name is Tony Hinchcliffe. He's an American comedian. He's most famous as like a roasting insult style comic and he's written for Comedy Central Roasts. He is well known as the host of the, host of the live show Kill Tony. He's been on the Joe Rogan experience a lot. Um, so basically the show Kill Tony is a lottery show where anyone can put their name in a hat. And if you get picked, then you get to go on stage and you do 60 seconds of comedy uninterrupted. 
And then after that 60 seconds is over, Tony Hinchcliffe and his guest will interview the comic about themselves and their set. And the guests, the guests are sometimes some of the biggest names in comedy. Yeah. Like who, who are like some of the biggest guests that have been, well, Joe Rogan, obviously. Um, Don Irera. Didn't Bill Burr do it a couple of times? Bill Burr's done it, I think. yeah. Um, Burt Kreischer, Tom Segura. Yeah. They're all huge names in like West, especially in like um, California, yeah. LA scene. But like other, other East Coasters too, I think like Mark Norman has done it for sure. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So like ton, ton, like, and it's an amazing thing, right? Because it could be your first time doing comedy and you're going to get a critique from one of the best comedians in the world, right? So it's, Yes. And sometimes they will, if you do really well, they've, they've like asked you to come open for them the next night or whatnot, like these big names. So for a lot of people, it's like it ends up being their biggest credit as a com- up-and-coming comedian. Yeah, for lots of people, it, it, launch, it completely launches their career into the stratosphere. Yeah, so it's, I actually wrote about it in my thesis because it's such a, like, a unique thing. Like I can't think of many, anything similar for any other art form where an absolute newcomer can, by the luck of the draw, get a chance to get that kind of exposure and that kind of uh, feedback from, from the pros. Yeah, I mean, I've always like noticed, like I noticed pretty quickly when I started doing stand-up within my first few years that the lowest newest comedians can still sometimes be in the same room with like 20 year veterans that have had like Netflix specials and stuff. Like it's, it's a very weird thing like that, how you can only have been doing comedy for six months and yet you can be constantly be in the same room with like touring headliners. Yeah. So like it's, it's, I think it's kind of unique in that way. Cause like you can't be in a band for a year and then like, like consistently being in the same room with like, (laughs) You know, big names. Yeah, you too. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, so it's it's, it's a really a really amazing show. Great, great premise. I always loved watching it. Um, I get home from doing a set Monday night and watch Kill Tony. It'd be great. And it was also fun because you get to see uh, you get to see some deluded people have real reality checks when they bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people that I've actually done shows with on that oh, show. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they do great, and one and sometimes they do bad. One guy that I. I didn't do the show, but I saw him live at our um, comedy club and like kind of hung out at, on the balcony afterwards. He was on it, and he crushed so hard that he got to open for the for Tony Hinchcliffe for the next couple of nights. I feel like. Oh, damn. All right. Well. Very su- funny guy. Yeah. What's his name? Sam Walker. Oh, I I met him in uh, Ottawa. Yeah, nice guy. He did a show in Ottawa. That guy's that guy's so fucking funny. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, he came through Kelowna and did a show on like a Tuesday night. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, at Dakota's in front of like 10 people. And he was, he crushed. It was oh, very funny. so funny. Oh, man. Okay, so yeah. So they used to do Kill Tony at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles. But then COVID happened. And um, a lot of the LA comedians moved to Texas, to Austin, to follow Joe Rogan there. Which is so weird that they would just fo- they literally just followed yeah. Joe Rogan. That's how much influence Joe Rogan has over the comedian, like the comedians in that scene. It's wild. It's pretty scary. It's very scary. Yeah, because Joe. Speaking of making careers, that his being a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast for a while was the biggest exposure possible for you, and lots of people became famous piggybacking off of being a guest on his. Show like Jordan Peterson blew up after that. Mm-hmm. A bunch of other guys blew up. T- Tony Hinchcliffe was 
the reason he is as big as he is today is because of Joe being a guest on Joe Rogan all the yeah. time. Yeah, it was it happened for so many comics. Yeah. So so they moved to Austin and so this is the uh, this is the event, the inciting incident. So on May 6, right, there's a, a show. It's not a Kill Tony show. It's just a stand-up show where Tony Hinchcliffe is the feature for a, for a show. And the a comedian goes up, and his name is Peng Dang. And he opens the show with a set about, uh, like, a set. it's like a set where the jokes are all about not hating Asian people, basically. Right. Because of, like, apparently it was Asian Heritage, Heritage Month, and um, there's a campaign to stop Asian hate because of hate crimes against Asian people are on the rise. Oh, so, really? Okay, that makes Tony's intro, like, at least, un- I understand the attempt, but it was very ill, ill-advised, ill I'd say. Right, yeah. Like, I, di- I didn't know that that guy's set was all about that, because, like, that adds a little bit of context to why Tony Hinchcliffe would come out and say the shit he did, but it doesn't, I mean, obviously, it was bad still, but. Yeah, so so what happened was, uh, so this this guy, Peng Dang, he does his set, then he brings up Tony Inchcliffe, like he says, next up is Tony Inchcliffe. So Tony comes up, takes the microphone, and immediately calls Dang uh, a certain racial slur for Asian people. I'm sure we all know it. I think he said he was a dirty chank or something. Yeah, exactly. Mimicking, uh, like basically doing a bunch of hacky uh, racial jokes about Asian people. And mostly, he spent most of the time in the video actually getting angry at the audience for laughing at Dang's material. Like, that's what he seemed the most upset about. Oh, really? He seemed the most upset. He was like, I don't even oh, want to yeah, make no, you laugh I anymore did. because I you did. laughed at that. Like, you're race traitors. Like, so he seemed actually upset. Did you watch, so how much, did you watch like a longer clip? I just saw the little, like, minute long one. Yeah, I watched the full clip that Ari Shafir posted. Ari Shafir posted like a full clip of uh, both of their sets back to back. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. So Hinchcliffe, the Asian stereotype stuff, the, ra- the, the like the race, the racial jokes. Um, that was like very. He did that pretty quick out of the gate, and then spent most of the time berating the audience for laughing at Pang Dang's set. Like it really seemed like he did not like Pang Dang as a comic. Like that's the sense I got. Yeah, which is weird. Like it's still a weird thing. Like that's so unprofessional in my view to just. Even if you hate his style of comedy, you don't fucking do that. That is, that to me is it just reeks of hubris. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. So we we can get into that, and then so basically a week after the set, Dang posted all this to Twitter, and uh, within maybe hours or within a day, um, all of Kill Tony's shows have been canceled at their where they're doing their shows. All their shows are canceled. Holy. He's been dropped from all of his upcoming from upcoming shows he was supposed to do with Rogue, and he's been dropped from those. He was dropped by his talent agency, William Morris Endeavor. So that's the same company that owns the UFC. They dropped Tony, so he's been dropped from his talent agency. So he's like he's he's done for the foreseeable future. Holy, I did I didn't know that. I did not know that. Wow, holy fuck, he imploded his career. With yeah, that he's shit. he he got wiped off the face of the earth by that. <laughs> And Joe Rogan canceled podcast with him. Is Joe Rogan like under the heel of Spotify now or what? Because I cannot believe he has put in commercials in the middle of the podcast that aren't him reading it. He's not trying to make it funny. It's pre-recorded advertisements on a subscription service that I already pay to not have to hear ads on. 
Yeah, I don't understand that. I could not believe. I, I tried listening to one of his episodes as soon as that happened. I was like, "No, this is this is fucking wrong." And I, I haven't listened to a single episode since then. Yeah, really ticked me off. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm not super surprised that uh, he's not doing his shows with with Tony. Like it, like because the same thing happened with uh, Brian Callen and Chris D'Elia. Mainly, especially Brian Callen, who is like supposedly his best friend. Like. Yeah, I don't think he's even mentioned Brian Callen in like a year. Who? Uh, Joe Rogan? Yeah. I mean, he used to be loyal to the comedians to a fault, that guy. Yeah. But I think he's he's like, maybe he's tied up with some money where his his management is like, no, 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 you can't do it with this guy. Or or maybe he's worried about getting canceled himself. That's what I'm saying. It, like, it, it seems like he's being under the heel of, now that he's got this $100 million contract, it's pretty hard for him to say no to Spotify about anything. Yeah. I wonder how much power they have over him. That's interesting. Yeah, he sold himself out. <laughs> Which is sad because he always was about being that independent, no rules, anything goes yeah. guy. No boss. And now it seems like he was actually bought with, by a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, so so anyway, so um Joe Rogan aside, like uh a number of comics have come out in Tony Hinchcliffe's defense. And I think uh so we're gonna look at their arguments and it's also important to know that we don't know the whole story here. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when people get dropped this fast by their agencies, it's uh it's a tip of the iceberg thing. Like the agency that dropped Tony Hinchcliffe, William Morris Endeavor. Owns the UFC. Yeah. Joe Rogan is a major figure with the UFC. Yeah. So it seems like an agency like that that owns the UFC that is like, I don't know. It does, they don't seem like they would just throw someone away, but I don't know. So we don't know the full story of like what goes on behind the scenes. So you're, you're saying that you suspect there might be more than just this clip that's going to come to surface? I feel like it's got to be something like that. I don't know if more things will surface, but like, I don't know. It feels like when things are... If this was an isolated incident, I don't think the reaction would have been so extreme. But anyway. This is like, this reminds me of, speaking of last podcast, Kramer's <laughs> downfall in the hot fire. Except for Kramer was never, he was not at the top of his game when that happened. But no, no. It's like a similar feel to it. Like it's a cell phone camera of the headliner going on a racist rant. Yeah. And it brings him down like the next day, his whole career just collapses. Yeah. Oh man. So, okay. So let's start with, um, start with Ari Shafir. So, so this is the quote from Ari Shafir. Um, here's his quote. Never ever post someone else's stand up set before they're ready for it to be put out. It shows a complete disrespect for the art form and the development process. If comics can't try new things, they'll never grow to their full potential. We need places to go where our only punishment for a failed attempt is the shitty feeling of having bombed. When there's a risk of material being shown to people who weren't even in the room, how can we feel safe enough to take the chances necessary to develop? We have to have a place where failure is an option. This shit is really bad for comedy. End quote. So, I agree with some of his points. I agree with, I agree with the, the sentiment in general, but it, when relating to this incident, doesn't seem like Tony Hinchcliffe was like, Trying some risky creative yeah. move. <laughs> no, no, I did not get the sense that oh, this is a new bit he's working on. Like, no, this is just yeah, no, 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 no. this was not like oh, he's just punching around the premise a little bit here. Yeah. 
He'll get to it. He'll get to it. He'll get to the punchline. He's finding line. the funny. He's finding the funny. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, maybe the next 10 seconds of the clip, there's some huge payoff and you forgive him. Or, but I didn't see him. Yeah, like, like maybe move the slur from the premise to the punchline so it hits a bit harder. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're starting off too aggressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You got to really be strategic with your racist rants. <laughs> That's what I've learned. Yeah, you got to got to draw them in a little bit first, then bring out the the racial material. Yeah, get them on your side, then expose that you're a, a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Exactly. Yeah, take them to the barbecue, then put on the hood. Exactly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. you got to do that risky, edgy shit at the end of your set while they're still on your side. Yeah, yeah. So I did not get the sense that it was like. He was working on a new bit or anything. Um, and I feel like that argument is that argument is more about um, it's more about giving comics the right to release their material to a very wide audience when they want to, because it's about it's for like commercial reasons. Like Chappelle, Chappelle doesn't let you film his set because he's worried that people are going to see bits before they're perfect. Yeah. He's worried that people aren't going to pay to go to his shows because they can just watch cell phone recordings on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like someone like an amateur comedian like myself and yourself, it's not a big deal if someone films us and releases it, right? Because we're not getting any offers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from Netflix anytime <laughs> soon, right? Yeah. So the worst that could happen is someone shows up to your show and they saw already saw a shitty video of that same bit, but you're, it's not going to affect your any sort of financial gain or notoriety at our level. But I can see how it would be an issue at that level. But this is what like the open mic scene is. It, the open mic nights are perfect for is bombing. Yeah, like people are already showing up with an expectation to see people fall flat on their face, and that is a good thing. It's not the same as a professional bought tickets show, because if I pay for a ticket, I want to see someone's A material, right? I want to see what the, the best they got. So. That's why open mics, you'll see, you'll still like these open mic type shows in bigger cities. Sometimes you'll still see like professional comedians coming in, signing up and waiting in the line. They do their five minutes like the rest of the first timers just so they can work out on some material that's not where it needs to be to be used on a paid show. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody does that, but that's a pretty regular thing. Yeah, totally. And if this was an open mic, I would be like, I would understand it a bit more, but this was, yeah, this was like a paid show and he was the headliner. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, I've heard people start their sets like that in real life at open mics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that was not that bad for your general open mic night, especially when anyone is allowed to walk in off the street and take the mic for five minutes. That's, that's pretty typical shit to hear atrocious things come out of people's mouths that aren't funny. That's pretty typical for open mic. But if that, like, he's a, Tony Hitchcliffe is like a top level pro touring comedian. Yeah, national headliner. He must have really thought that he was that was going to crush. I don't know. Um sometimes I think uh I th- I don't know. I like I watched the rest of the set and it was a very uh the rest of the set was very like divisive. Like he he seemed to spend the, the most of the show yelling at the audience. Not like yelling at them but like ro- roasting the audience like Saying like he left, he left LA because he wanted to escape from liberals and homeless people, and now he, here he is in Austin, 
and the crowd still didn't seem to too happy with the material. But anyways. Well, maybe he's relying too much on one technique to get a laugh. Like, fuck. Yeah, that's what I would say. Like, it seems like the whole set was about him just trying to divide the room and make people, make one half of the room hate the other half. And anyway. So you watched the rest of his whole set? Um, not the entire thing, but I watched like chunks throughout the rest of it. Because like, did he show up? Is this what he does when he doesn't have enough material to do a show? He just tries to roast the audience? Oh no, he he had material. He had material. It was all just very like, uh, it was, um, I don't know how to describe it really. It wasn't like, uh, he's like an insult comic. So it was all like yeah. kind of mean jokes at people's expenses. Yeah. But with no hint of irony or anything. Yeah, I think that's where he went wrong is that he forgot that he was supposed to be joking. <laughs> yeah, like if you're going to do that, if you're going to be super aggressive and like just ripping into people, like you have to also sort of paint yourself as a ridiculous figure. Yeah, you got to you got to take shots at yourself or else you do just come off as a bully and like Yeah. You know, everybody like bullies are only so funny until it stops being funny and starts being mean, right? Yeah. Even if it is well-crafted insults. Yeah, and it really felt like a very bullyish, very bullyish set. That's like definitely the vibe that I got. So, anyway, uh here's a Louis Louis J Gomez, you know him? Yeah. Yeah, so he uh, he also came to Tony's defense, and here's his his argument: "Quote, do people really think Tony Hinchcliffe was serious? He was obviously trying to be shocking and roast that dude. You can say you don't think it's funny, but it's not racism. Racism isn't just a string of words. If you're an adult, intent and context matter." End quote. So here's the thing: because the guy before him, the Asian guy Peng. You said his set was all about positivity, about being Asian and like a pro-Asian, stop Asian hate type message in it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I understand the attempt of Tony after having this whole set about Asian love and being like, you know, to come in and be the absolute opposite right off the bat. Mm. Like, I understand what he was going for with that. I just think it was not, he he did not read the situation well. And that was a terrible, terrible strategy to start your set. But I understand what he was attempting to do was to be coming and be immediately be the absolute as far opposite as the guy who was just on stage before him to have that like, like shock at the beginning. And that could have worked in a different, if he maybe had a different, uh, I don't know. He came in way too strong, even for that trap. Like, if he was trying to, yeah. like, you have to come in strong for that tactic to even work. But that was just way, he just couldn't pull it off. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that he is intrinsically a racist guy either. Like, I agree with Jay Gomez, but it was a terrible taste as far as the attempt. Yeah. Like, here, here's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, it definitely could have worked. It could have even reinforced Pang Dang's message. Yeah. If he had done it in the right way, like, he could have actually done it in the right way where, he like he does it, but in such a way that after he does it, like everyone knows he's joking, and it's like maybe he could bring Dang back up, and they could like yeah, that's the thing is it it he, the way he delivered it made it seem like he was just serious. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know the full story, but my thinking is is maybe he doesn't hate Asian people, but he clearly it seemed to me like he clearly hated Peng Dang <laughs> as a as a comedian, and was doing it to attack Pang Dang's comedy. 
That's the sense. That's what I got. Well, as soon as you start saying, like, I can't believe you laughed at that shit, is that is no longer, like, any comedian's going to take that hard at hearing that from someone like that's a... You know, the headliner of the night, immediate, the first thing they say is how that the crowd shouldn't have laughed at your material. Like that, that's almost worse, I feel like, than being, than the racial slurs to a comedian. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, he was, he was, yeah, he was like, I can't believe you laughed at that. Like I was watching you laugh at that and I was like puking in a fucking bucket, like really over the top. But like he didn't do it. He, the way he did it was where it was done in such a way that it really did not seem like it was done. At, with like a playful jab in the ribs kind of thing mm-hmm. between two colleagues. It's like one of those things, like I've seen comedians do that very successfully, right? Yeah, like it, it could have worked brilliantly. So like, you know, so say someone's closer is a very emotional long bit about, you know, something like getting an abortion and how you, they regretted it after and how like totally changed their opinion, you know? You have this long... Uh, thoughtful, drawn-out bit someone closes with, right? And that's their last thing. And the mood in the room is very somber. But like, and then the next guy comes up and they open with like, oh, so dead babies, right? You know, and that will get a laugh because of (laughs) it breaking that tension so hard. Exactly, yeah. But you immediately have to follow up. The people have to know that you're joking for that to work. From the clip I saw, it really did look like Tony Hinchcliffe was just pissed at this Asian guy. Yeah, and yeah, it definitely didn't. Uh, it didn't relieve the tension. I don't know if the tension ever, ever broke, but um, yeah, it wasn't like it could have worked. Like if he had pulled it off, obviously Peng Dang wouldn't have put out the video because it would have been clear to everybody that this was just a like a comedy bit. Yeah, like more horrific shit has been said in comedy shows, and and still is fine because the audience is aware that this is a bit not an actual racist rant. So at some point, for some reason, the audience did not feel like he was faking it or like doing it as a joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, to be fair, some people were laughing, but you can't just say like, oh, look, people laughed at it. That means it's okay. Obviously, that is a terrible argument. People laugh at plenty of things that are that they should not laugh at. Yeah. Uh, so you can't say like, oh, just because like the audience was laughing, so it must have been okay. Well, You've seen the audience, like, you can imagine pretty racist audiences existing. Yeah. And laughing at, like, beyond the pale type of thing. Just remember people, when people were bullying people back in elementary school, all the people standing by and laughing at it, even though it was clearly wrong. Yeah. People laughing does not just automatically absolve you from any, like, ill intent. No, laughing is, like, almost a, a reflex of reaction to, like, surprising interesting things like you can't really control it yeah yeah sometimes something's horrific but the pure surprise of it makes me laugh which is like what a lot of a lot of shock humor is about that exact mechanism yeah so i i think that's what he was going for um i think i think another it seems like a recurring theme is like like oh this is texas but oh there's so many liberals here Mm -hmm. i feel like that's a big part of it who knows? Maybe he moved to Austin and he actually is like getting drawn into the right wing way of thinking, like the extreme right. Who knows? Tony Hinchcliffe has never really been a, a nice guy. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Which is why I think like probably some more stuff going on behind the scenes. Okay, so anyway, here's our, our last, last argument. This is from Tim Dillon. So Tim Dillon tweeted, I don't believe Tony Hinchcliffe hates people. 
but he made the worst decision a comic or human could make in that particular moment. But the guy has given platforms to people with ALS whose last wish was to do comedy. The show he created did mean something to people. I've watched people of all races, genders, and sexual orientations have great sets on Kill Tony. Some went on to have careers. For some, it was just the moment they had wanted. They drove for hours to do a minute of stand-up at the comedy store. You can't dismiss that completely. End quote. So, I don't know. I get what he's going for, but... So he's saying, well, look what he's done in the past. He's been a nice guy in the past. <laughs> yeah, like, look what he gave that... Uh, he, he lets that ALS guy do sets. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, here's the thing is, I am never really a fan of something like this that is just words. Not actions, just words completely canceling someone's career overnight, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody on the planet has made terrible judgment calls, especially when it comes to like trying to be funny. Everyone ever has knows what it's like to make a joke and it fall flat because it's too, it was insensitive. Mm -hmm. Like that is a very common mistake to make. Unfortunately, he did it, you know, in front of hundreds of people and someone was recording it. But I think that you can't like I. It just makes me feel like to cancel to like all of his agencies drop him, all of his shows get canceled from that one mistake. Seems like it. It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. He. It was a. It was a very bad attempt at a joke, and it didn't go right. But I need to see hard actions before I would be like you know okay with someone getting their whole career canceled. It's not like he, he got caught like putting cyanide in someone's egg roll or something, right? No. Like, all it was was words. He has no effect on legislation. Like, he has no actual sway. So, and it's not like he's, you know, he's been spewing this rhetoric for months about how he hates Asians. Like, that's different. This was clearly, to me, a very bad attempt at humor. Uh, I don't think he should have been dropped. But I do think, like, I don't see a problem with it, him being ridiculed online, but I don't think his career should have been thrown in the dumpster instantly. Yeah, if this, well, that's the thing, right? If this was, if this was like a one-off and he had a bad night and misjudged the situation, then I could understand. I would also be like, hey, like, it's kind of, an, it seems like an overreaction to uh, destroy this guy. Like, let him apologize. Yeah. He should he should absolutely be getting criticized heavily for it, but I don't agree with like canceling all of his gigs right away for something like that. Of course, if if it was a hidden camera and he was in the green room and going off on a huge rant about how he hates Asians, that's different, right? <laughs> that's clearly his own private personal thoughts coming out. Yeah, or if he's like beating up people or hurting someone physically, that's different. Cancel him, throw him in jail, or whatever. But to me, it was a, just a very ill-fated attempt at humor. And, uh, you know, sucks to suck, I guess. <laughs> well, like, see, what I want to know is, like, it's not like there's a, a national organization of comedians who control all the venues. And if they say you can't perform, then you're screwed. Like, he got dropped by his talent agency. Okay. He has... A computer he has youtube he has a huge following he has a massive youtube channel he has his own subreddit like oh yeah when i say his career gets thrown in the dumpster i like 
he has a fan base and he's been going to be able to be a professional comedian for a long time still. Like this is not career ending in the sense that he can no longer perform, right? Or make a living doing comedy. But it is like he he's getting tossed out of the main channels in place right now. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you've seen a lot of his stand up, but it might be like if people didn't like if this is people's reaction to that, then his audience is probably not going to be getting any bigger because his comedy style is very like it is very kind of like a like a bully sort of. It's attack comedy. He's attacking everyone, but he doesn't ever attack himself. Yeah. Which I don't think people, uh, a lot of people, that's not what they want. Yeah, that's what I've never liked about him as a comedian. Is he doesn't yeah. really he doesn't take shots at himself really. Maybe one or two here and there, but but like Anthony Jeselnik is the same way, and for some reason I still. I don't need him to be self-deprecating. I don't need because that to me is a clear kind of character choice that Anthony Jeselnik is doing on stage. Whereas Tony Hinchcliffe seems way more like he's being his actual self. Yeah. So it comes off as a little bit more mean spirited. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he comes off as mean spirited. Yeah. And Anthony Jeselnik's is more of like a gimmick than his actual thoughts. Yeah. And, and let's be real. Anthony Jeselnik is a, Far superior joke writer. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. He just has it. He's been in the game way longer too. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, well, I never liked Tony Angel because of his his stand up. I liked him because he put on the Kill Tony show. Right. But anyone can really run that show. Like you don't need to be Tony Angelcliffe to run that show. No, and I'm sure other people would do a way better job at it. Yeah, and it's it hasn't even been the same since they moved to Austin because they didn't bring the band didn't go with them. Right. Like Jeremiah Watkins in the band, and they were honestly they were my fi- favorite part of that show was the band. Really, I hate that part of those shows of like the rose battles. I can't stand what? that oh, man. shit. I hate it when they do <laughs> the band with their costumes. You know what? I really I like they're in character. Jeremiah Watkins. I I like him on podcast, but like I do not like that shit coming. That's it's just distracting to me. Oh, man, that was my favorite. Like, ah, oh, what what characters are they going to be today? <laughs> I honestly haven't watched that many Kill Tonys. Um, it really is like, oh, maybe I'll listen to some episodes. But what was I going to say? Yeah, that's why like Bill Burr has always been like at the top of the pile, in my opinion, because he has an almost perfect balance of attack and self-deprecation. Yeah, he's so quick to like immediately like just rip himself apart. Like he's so quick to do that. It's hilarious. Yeah. He's a, he's just as aggressive against himself as he is against the subjects of his material. So it's like you never feel like it's in mean spirit. Yeah. And if it ever gets into that zone, he almost always has an off ramp or like um, he'll always throw in something that makes you like he'll acknowledge that what he's saying is mean spirited. Right. Yeah. He'll be like, I'm a fucking psycho. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Tony Hinchcliffe, it's interesting, Bill Burr was actually, he's been on Kill Tony a few times, and when he's, when he's been on, there was one where he just, like, ripped into Tony Hinchcliffe. Yeah, he's the best. He's the best at ripping into people when they're in, like, a mode of being on their high horse. It's so funny. He can dress someone down that, like, immediately that thinks they're in the zone and just, like, make them feel like a microscopic molecule on the ground. He's very good at that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's... That's one of the things about Kill Tony that was interesting to me is like, so this was like one of the Bill, when Bill Bear was on and uh, like some new comic was up and Tony Inchcliffe was like roasting his set and 
Bilber was like, you are just like such a fucking little ball of negativity, aren't you? Like you always just have to find the the, the flaw with everybody. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like Bill Burr has this reputation of being this like angry guy, but when he was on Kill Tony, I remember he was the nicest one. He had the most empathy out of all of them. Clearly, yeah. Oh yeah, clearly. I think I think Bill Burr has a soft spot for brand new comedians because he remembers. Yeah, he remembers. Yeah. He remembers. He didn't get made by Joe Rogan's podcast. No, no he, he did not need <laughs> Joe Rogan. He got made the hard way. <laughs> yeah, he came up uh, on the hard East Coast scene. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia, Boston. Love me some Bill Burr. I would never have stepped on stage if it wasn't for him and listening to him talk about comedy on his podcast. So, Ah, Bill Burr, replacement host for Tony oh. Kill Bill. Kill Bill. Kill Bill. That's what, it's, that's what it's named after. Kill Bill. Damn. There you go. I think that's a good spot to end this episode, Sam. I don't know if we covered any philosophy, really, but a little inside baseball for any comedy fans that want to that are really following the scene. I felt like we had to talk about this. Like it's such a big news in the comedy world. Uh, no emails this week. Not even from those bitches at the back table comedy podcast. All right. Nice. Nothing to say, huh? Nothing to say. They were really mean on their podcast <laughs> the last episode. Really mean about me, really. Um, but uh, I think I think this feud needs to come to some sort of logical conclusion. And I think that next time you're in town, Sam, we should go on their podcast and let's hash it out once and for all in the same room. Winner takes all. <laughs> Pistols at dawn. Yeah. But you can email us at tpspodcast420 at gmail.com if you feel the need to reach out and uh, participate in this little experiment we've been doing. Anything to add, Sam? Uh, yeah, reach out with any, any weird question that you've thought to yourself while you stare at the bottom of another empty glass wondering where the hell your life is going. Like, send us in the question. Like, let's hash it out. Let's talk about it. You heard him, folks. Don't let him down. Have a good night.